Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you and uh, good to be in the house of the Lord together to hear his word and to sing his praises. And though we are some of us with all of us with masks, I trust that you are happy to be here also. Just want to take a brief moment to acknowledge uh, two guests that are with us today all the way from Africa. And I just want to acknowledge uh, Owatotsi uh, has both uh, his wife's mom and his mom visiting to be here because Owatotsi and Precious just had a precious little baby boy. And so welcome to our community. We can put our hands together even though we can't say anything. God bless you both. Uh, before we hear the word this morning, I want to invite you to pray with me. And um, want to invite us to think uh, especially about um, what God is trying to do in our world, uh, in a world that sometimes would show us that it is not quite what God has intended. And so this morning we want to pray in an ancient way where I will pray and invite you to respond to these words, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Would you bow your heads now? As we prepare for the Word of God, and as we prepare to hear from Him. Father, we come before you this morning as your people, desiring to live together in unity for the sake of your name and for your glory. We acknowledge that we need your Spirit to make us one to unite our hearts and our desire for your will to be done and for your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. This morning we pray for the state of our world. We acknowledge that this world that you lovingly made is not yet as you intended. We lament the loss of employment health, and life due to this global pandemic. We pray for your comfort and presence to be with those who mourn today. We pray in particular that economic and political constraints may be lifted so that those who are in need of employment, are in need of care, in need of vaccinations may have access to it. We lament the strain and the stress under which many government officials and frontline workers must make decisions and do their work, and we ask for your wisdom and protection upon them. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We lament the senseless violence that claimed the lives of eight people in Atlanta this past week. We mourn with their families and ask that you may be their comfort. We lament the violence done against women in particular. We pray for the wives, the mothers, and the daughters in our world who suffer violence and abuse daily. We ask that you deliver them from such evil and that you be their shield and their protector. We pray in particular for our Asian brothers and sisters who in many countries have experienced increasing prejudice and violence during this pandemic. We ask that you will protect them, that the church would be their home. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for our local church 
We lament the loss of community, the loss of fellowship, and the disconnect we all have experienced in this season. And we ask that your Spirit strengthen our hearts and our faith so that we may know that you have not abandoned us. We pray for those in our church family who are suffering today. We think especially of those who are afflicted by this virus and those who are hospitalized at a time when it's hard for even family members to be close and to comfort. We ask that you will be their comfort, that you will be their strength, that you will be their helper in their time of need. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. As we now turn our hearts and mind to the words spoken through your prophet Jeremiah, we ask that we would hear what you have to say to the church today. May your word lead us to live faithfully for you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 31, reading from verse 31 to 34. And if you want to turn there, if you do have your Bibles with you, that would be great. And I'm just going to read those few verses. And I'm going to invite you this morning to stand with me as we hear the word of the Lord. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. A covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. <clears throat> I think one of the gifts of the Old Testament is that it gives us a perspective of God that is honest, hard, complex, and challenging. Uh, some people, as a result of the difficulties of reading the Old Testament well, have decided that there's only some parts of it they'll read and like. And then there are others who have historically perhaps even presently, just entirely ignored what the Old Testament is about. Now, I want to say this to you, that I think we need help to read Scripture well. Uh, a good pastor, a good teacher that I listen to says, it is not only vitally important that we read Scripture, but how we read Scripture is perhaps equally as important. And we cannot just choose certain parts and ignore other parts, but even so, when we try to read all of it, when we try to understand the revelation of God as it's presented through Scripture, we have to acknowledge that this 
beginning and end, this Alpha and Omega that is the God of Scripture is sometimes just a little bit beyond our ability to grasp as His creation. And so there's a, a humility that ought to, uh, ought to beset those who seek to follow Jesus, a humility that says even though we may not be able to understand everything, we believe that the Scripture gives us that which we need to live as God intended. And there are times where we wrestle with texts that are hard, especially in the Old Testament, complex texts about the character and the nature of God and what he's doing there. In the early centuries, in the second century, there was a gentleman by the name of Marcion who who struggled so much with this idea of the Old Testament. We call him a heretic today because he, he could not reconcile the God of the Old Testament with the Jesus he sees in the New Testament. And so he concluded that the God of the Old Testament is the Jehovah God of Israel, and he is not the same God that we see as revealed in Jesus Christ. And yet the Gospel of John will tell us that Jesus was in the beginning, that to speak of Jesus without believing he was from God, is God, is to actually not be a biblically shaped, formed people. So we can't ignore it. We approach it with humility. We understand that all of Scripture is essential to helping us understand how we ought to live our lives. And and all of this to say this to you this morning before I get into the text, that I think one of the greatest gifts of reading the Old Testament well is that it challenges us to see a perspective of God that goes something like this. God has always been interested in forming for himself a people and not just a person to bring glory to his name. That if we read the Old Testament, there is no escaping that the calling of God since the commissioning of Abraham has been to form for himself a people belonging unto him that would reveal his glory in this world so that all men will be drawn unto Jesus Christ. And so the Old Testament corrects us from a a perspective that not just in the Western world, but in many places, that wants to make it just about me. In case you think it's just the Old Testament that does that, a lot of the personal pronouns that Paul uses when he writes his letters in the New Testament has been translated for us in I and me when it's really us and them. When Jesus calls people to follow him, he's not just calling one, he's calling a group. He is forming for himself a following of people that would be the people of God. Here's what I'm suggesting to you, that when we hear the word of God, especially in this season of Lent, we hear it not only as what is God trying to say to Stu, what is God trying to say to Ruthann, what is God trying to say to Ryan or Michaela, we hear the word as what is God trying to tell us, the people of God. And we hear the word as those who are connected to one another, not just a group of individual Christians, but those whom God has chosen to be his witness in the world. Now let me say this morning that this makes the Christian life a lot more dynamic and a lot more challenging. It challenges us to consider that it's not just about my individual actions and how it affects my life, but how I live matters to the witness of the church. 
it draws us out of the sense in that our Christianity is, is to be lived in isolation and our responsibility is only for our own walk, but it places before us an understanding of God who calls us to be a people. Therefore, what I do, what I say, how I live matters not only for my sake, but for the sake of the believing community and the witness of God in the world. In fact, this poor understanding of Christianity is so rife in our society that we can have people living in contrary ways to Jesus that hurts the witness of the church and they find no problem with it. But when we hear the word as the people of God, we hear it differently. We hear a a sense of responsibility that we share with one another. Jesus would put it this way. They will know that you are my disciples by how you love yourself. No. By the love that you have for one another. My friends, I was raised in a culture in which the church in many ways fell short of being the church. But there was one gift of the church of my upbringing that I will never forget, that I had brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles who weren't biologically mine. I had moms and dads in addition to the mom and dad that God has given me. And they were all up in my business because they wanted me to live like Jesus wanted me to live. And I just grew up with an understanding of the church that transcends the individuality that so marked Western Christianity. I think that there is a lot at stake in these days for us. Our witness is being threatened in many ways and sometimes we don't do ourselves any, we don't help ourselves any, anyway because we think not of us, but of me. The sin of Achan in the Old Testament would demonstrate that one man's disobedience will cost the community, the people of God, the lives of many. And I want to suggest to you, just as one man's sin would cause the death of many, so we believe that one man's sacrifice in the person of Jesus Christ brings life to all. We have a hope in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to enable us to be the people of God for such a time as this. Now that's my preamble, that's my introduction. Are you ready for my message? Jeremiah is a prophet with a challenging task. He's referenced as the weeping prophet. Weeping because he's crying out for the repentance of the people of God who up until this point, before we hit these chapters 30, 31, 32, have been resistant to repentance. See, Israel has not lived up to the covenant that God made with Abraham and that was so clearly defined for them at Mount Sinai through the giving of the stone tablets and the commandments. One way to say it that makes sense to me because I'm a narrative story person is that what was given on stone was supposed to shape how the people live 
but what was given on stone remained on stone and didn't transform any people's lives. In fact, when the scripture says that God wants to put his law in their hearts, this is what he means. He's not saying that the heart is the place of feeling. He's saying the heart is the place of volition, of will, of desire. That in other words, the law itself was supposed to be expressed in the people so that as they related to one another and to the the nations they would encounter, they would embody the very law of God and that that law would reveal to others in how the people lived who their God was. So there is the sense when we read the text that the people have failed in a devastating way. They had decided to not live to reveal God to the world by how they embraced the law. In fact, one of the primary commands is, you shall have no other gods but me. But they tended to kind of not pay that much attention, and they worshipped at the feet of other idols, hence the fact that they find themselves exiled in Babylon. The powerful kingdom of Babylon. Are you still with me? Can you raise your hand? The last 90 seconds is really good. The kingdom of Babylon overthrew Jerusalem, raised the temple, and took many into exile. And the people would live in exile for many, many years. But here we find, after Jeremiah had repeatedly called the people to repentance, that the tone of the scripture changes... And we have the sense that a new day is coming that will be defined by a new covenant. And I want to say this about covenants, just for information's sake, because I think it's helpful. Covenants weren't as, you know, they weren't as shared as we think about covenants today. You do your bit, you know, I do my bit. Uh, You know, uh, ancient covenants were a little bit more unilateral, one-sided. The stronger party in these covenants often set the terms for what the covenant will be. And the weaker often had very little say in what that would look like other than to comply. But it is for, it's, it's, it's really important for us to understand that when God says, I will make this new covenant, he is the stronger party. But he is committing himself to a people who have not lived up to their end of the bargain. And he comes back to them, even though they paid a price for their disobedience. By the way, we pay a price for our disobedience. We pay a price for it. For Israel, it was exile. For the church of God today, if we do not live according to God's ways, we pay the price for it. Now, now some of us say grace should cover everything. We can do as we please. No, God has, has not given us a cheap grace, a grace that we forfeit so that we can live whatever way. There's a consequence to disobedience. But here's what Jeremiah is saying to us. Despite God having all the right to say, I wash my hands with them, I'm done, he comes back to them with a new covenant. A commitment to make them his people. In fact, it reads like this. I will put my law in them. Of course, I can't hear covenant language without thinking about Jesus. Jesus would at his last supper say that he is giving a new covenant to his disciples. A covenant that would be purchased by his blood. A covenant that 
would do what this covenant anticipates is going to be done. And so I want to share with you three things. I did my work this week. I got three points. Pastors should not be pointless. <laughs> three things that this covenant anticipates and that Jesus fulfills. Three things that God wants for the people. Here's the first one. God desires the people to know to whom they belong. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Belonging is one of the most important things in our lives, no matter how old or young we are. Every human heart wants to know where they fit and where they belong. The restlessness in our world, one could probably say, both sociologically and perhaps even psychologically speaking, is a result of people being disconnected from any meaningful place of belonging. And when the people sin, one of the greatest challenges, when they break the Torah, one of the greatest things that happens is that sin creates a, an insecurity in their relationship with the one who has made himself their God. They question whether God actually still cares about them. They question whether God still actually is committed to them. Living in exile for 70 years might have felt a lot longer for a whole generation of Israelites who have kind of said, we messed up and we don't know if God is ever going to care about us again. We don't know if he is our God. Perhaps this is the consequence of sin, that in the absence of believing that God is who he is and committed to them, they will pursue the worship of foreign gods. You know, this covenant is intended for the people to know that they belong to God, but their sin has held them back from believing it. And when we live in contrary ways to the ways of God, we become insecure Christians, and insecure Christians don't know who they belong to. And when they don't know who they belong to, they do not want to seek to make others belong also. Our belonging as the people of God is exemplified for us in the one who comes to make all things right, to fulfill the covenant, if you will. Jesus is the one who comes to say to us that we are to make disciples of all nations. You know, here's my translation. Make disciples of everyone so that everyone would belong to me. When I was a youth pastor just a few years ago, Brian, that wasn't funny. It wasn't intended to be. One of the things that I noted as a youth pastor is that the young person who, who perhaps grew up in a, in a home in which there was the absence of a parent or especially among those who, who were adopted, that this sense of wanting to know where they came from often led them to make poor choices 
in their pursuit of finding love. I think that what God is trying to restore in Israel is a hard thing to restore, restore when trust has been broken. Not only are they are to be restored to God by His hand, His work, His act, His saving, liberating work, but they are to embody what it means to live as a people who belong. And I have to be honest today, I, 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 I see a God who ties himself to the people even when they don't expect him to, and that who desires his people to embody what it means to be the people of God. Do we belong to one another? Are your concerns my concerns? When a brother is struggling, do we help them? When somebody is faltering, do we come alongside them and speak truth and love and grace and wisdom? Is the church perhaps called to be more than just a group of individuals who worship the same God, but a group of individuals who worship the same God so that they may be the people of God and embody in the world what it means to be diverse yet united by Christ who embodies and reflects the unity that God can bring despite our differences so that we would be a witness together. You cannot do it alone. I cannot do it alone. We are intrinsically tied to one another through the blood of Christ. <laughs> I need an amen. <laughs> you are my brother. You are my sister. Even when I don't like you, you can't get rid of me. Even when we disagree, we cannot give up on what God wants to do through us, not just through me. If you're wondering why I'm getting so emphatic about this, it's because it matters. It matters. Not only is this new covenant calling us to a new sense of belonging, it is a covenant that promises that we would know God. The Torah was critical to the people's obedience and to pleasing God, but it was also the primary way through which the people would come to know who their God is. In fact, in the Shema a section in Deuteronomy chapter 6, there's a strong instruction to Put that Torah wherever you can so that people can read it. On your heads, on your wrist, so that your children would grow up knowing what the law is. It is remarkable, isn't it, that, that this new covenant, according to the scripture, it says, it says that no one's going to have to teach anybody anything about the law because the law would be in them. Sounds a little utopian to me. And I have to be careful how I preach this because otherwise I'll preach myself out of a job. You'll say, well, Stu, we don't need you. And in some ways, perhaps you don't. What does it look like for the people of God to know God? Not just to have a knowledge of God or a perspective of God that is filtered through others, parents, 
friends, pastors, but to know God. What does it mean to move beyond the idea that we are called to just uh, obey from a distance without realizing that in our obedience we get a perspective of God that we need? One of the the things that I know in life, and, and I've done a lot of studies in, in this area, is that you put enough distance between people and they soon forget what the other person was really like. You know, you know, when, I, you know when, I, um, when I found this out is, uh, you know, some of you know, I lost my, my family uh, many years ago now, in 1996, 29 September 1996. My, my mom was only 47. It blows my mind. So I'm older than her now. <laughs> my dad was 49. My little brother was 17. My little sister was 11. And over the years, it's interesting, as time passes, how you remember. It's a funny thing. Um, good remembering is sometimes hard to do. Because in the immediacy of such loss, I'm using this as an example, there's many good things that I have mourned, right? I mourned good things. My mama's hugs. I was saying to my daughter as I was driving into church today, I said to her, I said, I just wish you could have known where I come from. You would have known me better if you had known my mom. This idea of knowing is, 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 is anchored in good remembering as well. The, the, the people tend to forget who their God is when they go their own way. And, and there's a need for them to be pulled back to remembering that this is the God who parted the sea. This is the God who, who brought water from rocks and food from the heavens. This is the God that liberated the people from slavery so that they would be the people of God. This is the God that that wants them to return to Him. This is the God that is bigger than the kings and the powers of darkness of Babylon. This is the God that they have once known. And this is the calling of God for the church today, that we would know that God. You know what one of the challenges is? is that we all try to domesticate God. We want to make him fit our paradigm, uh, function for our needs, make our lives better. Listen, while God is gracious and wants to fix and restore and heal and challenge and change for us, he is also the God of all creation who is able to do immeasurably more than we think or dream or ask. And when we come into contact, into communion with that God, everything changes. You know how I know the church is struggling to know God today? Because we do not turn to Him, we turn to everything else, like Israel. You know, last week I said this to you, you know, you, you are, I hope you all know I love you dearly. But I feel as a pastor, sometimes you call to speak very, very strong words. First of all, the word speaks to you, and then the word perhaps speaks through you to others. 
I, I just want to say to you that there's clear evidence today that the church has forgotten who God is. We have forgotten that this is the God who is the beginning and the end. If we believe that that God who's revealed through Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ gives us of his very spirit, we live very differently. Our lives are not defined by fear. You cannot know God when you live afraid of God in the bad sense. There's a fear that we have to have because he is creator. He's not just my buddy or my chum. He is the beginning and the end. But he is the one who through Christ and the spirit welcomes us to know him. It blows my mind that I can pray to him. It blows my mind that I can sit in the sanctuary in the week and just cry out to him. And he attends to me and he's present with me. Oh, that the church would experience the knowledge of the living God. That will change everything. I'm clearly more worked up than I thought I would be. A people of belonging, a people who know God, and then a people who are forgiven. Listen to this. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, says, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and remember their sin no more. I will forgive their, do you see the plurality in the words, their iniquity, and remember their sin no more. What does it look like for the church to live as a forgiven community? What does it mean for us to practice this truth? It actually might surprise some of us, but it means that our altars are not just symbolic places, but they are used. They are places that we bend our knee and we say thank you for the grace that has been given to us. They are places of confession when sin does take hold of us. I've said this over the years, that one of the values of Skyview is that we want to be an intergenerational church. That means this, that we live our faith not only for ourselves, but for the sake of those who are watching us and those who are coming up behind us. If you're never wrong and never seek the grace of God, your children won't know what, it likes, what it's like to seek mercy. When we live as if we do not need repentance and grace and mercy, we are setting forth an example to our church that is not what God desires or destined us to be. But I want to pause to reflect on just this as I close. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Perhaps one of the biggest challenges for us is the haunting past, or perhaps even the present when we have failed. You see, the power of sin is that it can hold us trapped in seeing ourselves in ways that God does not see us. God is the... Uh, primary actor in this covenant, and he's the one that moves towards us with forgiveness. 
He moves towards Israel when they were not able to save themselves, and he offers them a way of being reconciled to him. And, and that is what the symbol of the cross represents for us. It, it says this. It says, we can't save ourselves, God. Save us. And then it says this over us. I have. I thought I'd get an amen. That was really good. Not in my notes. The, gift, the guilt of sin can keep one from beginning, uh, belonging, and knowing God. This is just the outcomes of it. But perhaps the way back, the way back, the way to living as new covenant people is to confess all that keeps us from Him. I have nothing more to say. I never should say that because then I always come up with something. We uh, printed these cards. Um, actually, Pastor Ryan printed it for us. It's, called, it's just a postcard. It says, you are loved. You see that? And uh, it has our address on the back and then you know, an address line where you can write a little note to somebody and last week, I challenged us to be praying for each other, to be praying for those of us who are really struggling, going through difficult times, pray for our church, pray for our leaders, our pastors. This week, I want to challenge you. We have neatly put these out on a table in the back, and so just grab one stack. Don't touch things. Don't put your hands everywhere. Pastor Brittany's going to stand there with a little stick, hit your hand. Well, what we want you to do is to, maybe if you'd, if you'd like to, you don't have to, I'm going to guilt you into doing this, is to take one of these and, and, and here's the challenge. The challenge is to, uh, to write somebody a note that represents, that's a part of our community. Uh, there's five cards that you can take so you can use them for different people, but at least for somebody in our community that God's laying on your heart that you need to, maybe I'll put it this way. Uh, that, that you, you just feel you need to let know that they are loved. Now, I was thinking about this exercise. I thought the males amongst us would be like, hmm. <laughs> Other than Valentine's Day, Stu, I'm not getting something this happy. <laughs> but perhaps even for, for those amongst us that are... Um, Emotionally challenged. Um, we would think of someone else. We have to walk through this season together. There's a lot more at stake than we think. And we are tied together by the blood of Christ. Let us love one another as we have been loved. Let us pull together. Let us spur one another on for the sake of the one who has forgiven us. I invite you to stand with me as I close.
Father, thank you for your word today. We pray that it would not return empty, but that it would find its way in and through our lives to your glory. May what has been prayed be fulfilled, that we may be one as you desire us to be. Now, may the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who generally gives, generously gives us his spirit, indwell our hearts and our church, that we may love him and one another. Go in the peace of Christ. Amen.